I'm glad to be here today. Hopefully, you got a bulletin on your way in, and in there, there's a place to take notes. And uh, at the top, it's got like the sermon title and like usually the job description title. And so they put Pastor Ken Prima on there. Uh, you know, in the past, we'd have like associate pastor or other things like that. And so we're kind of talking with the, the office staff about what should we put for that. And so I threw some ideas out there, like unemployed guy, uh, stay-at-home dad, you know, the, the guy formerly known as uh, Associate Pastor Ken, those kinds of things. But we just decided to keep it simple for today. Uh, and so above that, though, is a, a sermon title and a, a, a scripture. And this has never happened to me before, but I had been for weeks planning on preaching uh, about good works in Ephesians 2. And, and yesterday, I just felt like the Lord was saying uh, he had something else for us today. So I trust that God wants to speak something into your life because uh, uh, God... Uh, told me to share a passage that is like a life verse for me, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And so I'm going to preach from that this morning instead. So I, I, I want to ask for your grace that everything doesn't line up perfectly with what the sermon notes say and all that stuff, but I'm sure you didn't care about that anyway. So, so recently, uh, I've been interviewing for different jobs, and being employed here for the last 11 years, I haven't had to interview much. Um, but uh, if you've been in an interview, you know that they always ask you that dreadful question. The question is this, what's your greatest weakness? Because think about it, how do you answer that question? You, you don't want to act like you don't have any weaknesses, and then they, they're thinking, like, you're arrogant, you're prideful, like, who's this person? Um, but then on the other hand, you don't want to come clean with how horrible you actually are and, like, how messed up you are and be vulnerable with that. And so it's kind of a catch 22. You're like, you can't win in this. And so normally what we do is we just kind of throw a softball answer of something that's like not that bad, not that horrible, and we just kind of throw that out there, and then we move on to the next question, don't we? And the reason is because none of us, none of us wants to uh, show our weaknesses. We want to hide our weaknesses, and what we want to do is we want to highlight our strengths, don't we? Like think about a resume. If you've ever written a resume or if you're an employer and you've read through resumes, you know that the, the resume, you put your best forward, Right? You write about how amazing you are, and your resume screams, I'm awesome, look how educated I am, look at all my experience, I am totally qualified for this job. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen a resume that had a header on it that said weaknesses and liabilities. You know, I've never seen a, a resume that had like fine print, here's all the reasons why you should not hire me, right? No, because we want to hide our weaknesses and highlight our strengths. When we're searching for a job. Same thing happens if you're searching for a dating relationship, right? Nowadays, most people, they'll go online, they do the eHarmony thing, they do the Coffee Meets Bagel thing, and, and you put a profile picture up. And now I'm guessing that you didn't put the most horrible picture of you. You know the one where you're wearing sweatpants, your hair isn't done, and like someone just snapped a picture? You didn't put that one up, right? No, instead, you put your best forward, you put that one where your hair is done perfectly. Ladies, you got your makeup done. You got the outfit on that just makes you look so good, right? And that's the, the picture that you put on your profile. And then in the description, in your bio, you put great things about yourself, right? You, you write things about why someone would want to date you. You don't start highlighting all your weaknesses, do you? You're not like, well, number one, I'm really bad with my finances, Number two, I've got some anger issues, and so, you know, I might lash out at you from time to time. And number three, my ex-wife said I used to pass gas while I'm sleeping. I don't work here anymore. I can just say whatever while I'm preaching, you know, so we'll see what happens today. Anyway, no, so 
In your dating relationship, you, you, you know, you, you're going to put your best out there. The same thing is with our family and friends, right? Social media, Instagram, Facebook. We put our highlight reels out for the world to see. And you and I, we, we hide our failures, our frailty, our weakness, the fact that we are messed up. You see, for all of us, for all of us, we, we hate to reveal our weaknesses to the world. Instead, we like to highlight our strengths. But shockingly, Jesus teaches us to do the opposite. Jesus says that with him, we do not need to hide our weaknesses. And instead, those can become an opportunity. Those can become an opportunity to reveal God's glory and his power through your life. And in fact, that's our big idea this morning, if you want to write it down. It's this, that God turns our weaknesses into an opportunity for his power for his glory to be displayed in and through your life and mine. You see, God can take the parts of your life that you and I would like to hide, that we would like to erase, that we would like to, to scribble out of our life resume. And God can take those very things and use them as an opportunity to reveal his power in and through your life. And so we're in week four in a series called Excel, in which we are looking at different ways that we as a church and as individuals can excel at certain things, to train and grow in certain areas, to become more and more like Jesus in and through our lives and as a church. And so today we're going to look at excelling in our weaknesses, which is kind of a, a weird thing to think about, but, but for us to excel in our weaknesses. And we're going to learn from a passage that the Apostle Paul writes that he learned from Jesus as Jesus taught him to celebrate his weaknesses and to turn those into strengths. And so let me give you a little context. Paul had planted a church in the city of Corinth, and some years had gone by, and now some other people, some spiritual leaders had stepped in, and, and, and they were trying to drive Paul out of the church. And they were saying things about him, talking about his weaknesses. So they said, you know, this guy Paul... Um, he shouldn't be leading this church here because, one, uh, he wasn't one of the original disciples. He wasn't one of the 12 that followed Jesus around for three years. Paul wasn't one of those. He, he met Jesus later after Jesus had been resurrected. So they were saying he's not a real apostle. Secondly, they were saying he's not as gifted of a teacher, so we've got better communicators, uh, and he's not as eloquent. So they're highlighting his weaknesses. Uh, and, and, and then they say they've had more like, spiritual encounters with God than him. So they're saying all these things, talking Paul down. And so Paul isn't applying for a job like I'm doing right now, but, but Paul is defending his job as a pastoral influence and as a spiritual leader in the church in Corinth. And so as he's defending himself, Paul, instead of boasting about how great he is, Paul boasts in his weaknesses. And so I want to invite you to, to grab a Bible and to turn with me to, to 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. And you can also uh, op open up a Bible app if you have that with you. And we're going to look. And what we see is that at the beginning of the chapter, so as he's defending himself, he, he starts talking about this spiritual encounter he had with God, where God, he doesn't know if he was in the body or out of body experience, but he, he, God took Paul to heaven, and he had this vision of heaven and this amazing experience. And, and Paul does a humble brag. You know what a humble brag is? So he's like bragging about himself, but he, he doesn't want to be, uh, he wants to be humble in it. So, so the way he does it, he talks in the third person. He's like, I know this guy, and he had this encounter with God. And, you know, and so he starts explaining this. 
And then in verse 7, it tells us that, that God didn't want him to be conceited, and so God gave him something to ground him in God's grace. God describes it, he describes it as a thorn in his flesh. And so we pick up here verse 7, it says this, Therefore, in order to keep me, Paul, from becoming conceited or arrogant or cocky, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Let's pause right there. You can keep your Bibles open. We see that in order to keep Paul from becoming conceited and arrogant, he was given something called a thorn in his flesh. Now, when I was a kid, uh, I used to love playing hide-and-go-seek and tag. And, and so I lived on this cul-de-sac, and so all the neighborhood kids, we'd all meet, and they had a light pole in the middle of it. And so we'd meet there, and that was like home base. And then we'd leave one kid there. They'd count, you know, 10 Mississippis, and then we'd all scatter. And there was like about 10, 10 houses on the, on the cul-de-sac. We knew all, all the families, all, all the houses. And so we would just hop anyone's front yard, backyard, like any, anything was fair game. And then the person would go searching, and I remember I'd be in some, you know, some person's backyard, and then they would come running, and so I'd start running, and I'd hop a fence. Now, where I grew up, we didn't have these, these block wall fences that they have around here. Where I grew up, we had like old wooden fences. And if you know anything about old wooden fences, you know that when you're hopping them, you can get something called splinters on your hands, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And so my hands would start getting covered in these splinters, all the kids, but we wouldn't care. We're just running and trying to get to the pole before, you know. And then by the end of the day, your hand's like covered in splinters. And your hands are throbbing in pain. And it's, it's like all you can think about. And the Apostle Paul says that, that he was given a thorn in his flesh. Now, he's not talking about a literal thorn like, like the splinters, but he's talking about a pain in his life, a throbbing pain that would not go away. And we don't know exactly what it was, and scholars you know, love to talk about, was it this, was it that? And so they ask, what was it? Uh, was it a health problem? Was it uh, an emotional problem like depression? Was it a, a relational problem with people trash-talking him in the church in Corinth? Was there a problem with his in-laws? It's often a problem with the in-laws, right? You know, that happens. Just kidding to my uh, parents who are here. Love you guys. Rick and May. Glad you're here. Um, we don't know. We don't know what the problem was, but there's some kind of a problem. I think that it was a, a problem with his vision because in, in Galatians 4, he talks about uh, having weak eyes. And at the end of Galatians uh, in chapter 6, he talks about writing. Hey, look, I'm writing with my own. Uh, look how big these letters are as I write with my own hand. And so, so many scholars think that it was a problem with his vision. A health problem, a physical problem that he was having. And he prayed three times saying, God, would you take this from me? Paul doesn't mention what it is. We aren't certain exactly what it was. And I believe that's for a reason. Here's why. Because Paul knows that you and I have our own thorn in the flesh, don't we? That you and I have our own pain that we wish that God would take away. That we've got our own weakness, something in our life that we wish that God would take away. It causes you pain. And maybe it's obvious and, and people see it because it's something physical. Or maybe it's something that only you are aware of. This frailty, this failure. Maybe it's something that you've had for a long time, for years and years. Or maybe it's something that's been more recent in your life. But all of us have our weaknesses. All of us have our own form of a thorn in the flesh. And maybe for you, it's a character thing. Maybe it's an anger problem, and you lash out at people, your kids, your spouse. Maybe you're a kid, and you lash out at your parents. 
It's this weakness that you have in your life. Maybe for you, it's some temptation, sexual sin, an addiction to, to some medication. Maybe it's an addiction to alcohol or a reliance on alcohol in your life, and it's a weakness you have. Maybe for others, it's, it's a physical thing, a health condition you have that you've been suffering with. Maybe it's a physical pain that you're experiencing. Maybe there's others who are here, and you're in a season where you feel like you're failing. Like you are just barely treading water, and you feel like you're about to drown. And you're feeling so weak and insignificant right now. We all have our own thorn in the flesh. And what Paul wants us to see is that thorns puncture our pride. See, God wants to use that. Thorns puncture our pride. What the enemy wants to use for evil, God wanted to use for good. And God wanted to use it that that Paul had become potentially conceited because of these spiritual experiences he had, like a balloon that's blown up way too big. And God wanted to deflate down his pride. And God will do the same in our lives as well. That thorns can puncture our pride. And what the enemy meant to torment Paul, God wanted to use it to transform him. What the enemy wanted to use to destroy the Apostle Paul, God wanted to use it to develop him and to grow him. And I believe that God wants to do the same thing in our lives. That there are things in our lives that God wants to use to grow humility in us. To deal with our pride. You see, God can use your weaknesses for his good. Do you believe that? That God can use your pain. That there might be a purpose in your pain. And so the Apostle Paul, he, he pleads with God three times. And maybe you've, you've prayed, God, would you take this thing from me? God, would you, would you take this weakness out of my life? God, would you, would you take this pain out of my life? And God hasn't yet answered that prayer in the way that you want him to. But do you believe that there might be a purpose to that pain? You see, with Paul, he wants to show us that your weakness is an opportunity for God's power. Your weakness is an opportunity for God's power. Let's see, continue on in verse 9. It says this, But he, Jesus, said to Paul, he gets his answer from God. And here's what God said to him. My grace is sufficient for you. And that word sufficient means it's enough. My grace is enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made complete. It's perfected in Weakness. And then Paul goes on to say, well, if that's the the reality, if that's the truth, he goes, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me or abide in me, that I might live in the power of God. He says, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. Then he goes on, he says this, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in things that we probably wouldn't delight in. It doesn't delight in strengths. He says, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. These aren't things that we celebrate. But Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, Paul prayed for healing, and God responded, but God didn't respond in the way that Paul had hoped God would. Paul asked God, would you take this from me? And God responded, but what God said is, no, I'm not going to take this thorn out of your flesh. But yes, I will give you my grace, and my power will be upon your life. And that word grace, it's a Greek word, charis. I love the word so much, I named my daughter charis. And the word charis, it, it means unmerited favor. 
It's an undeserved gift from God. But what I want you to recognize this morning is that, that this unmerited favor, this, this, this grace of God, it's not just about your salvation. It's not just an unmerited favor or grace that saves you, which it does. And we just sang about that. It's not just what saves you, but it's also this grace that sustains you and me. And what Jesus is saying, I'm not going to take you out of this situation, out of this weakness, but what I will do is I will give you my grace to give you the strength to sustain you through this suffering, to sustain you through this weakness, this pain. My grace is enough for you. And Paul said, well, if that's how it works, and if that's how I get the power of God in, in my life and through my life, then I'm going to delight all the more in my weaknesses and in my difficulties. You see, weaknesses keep us dependent on God, trusting in him and his power rather than trusting in ourselves. And I heard a pastor explain it this way. He was a church planter, and he was in the first year of his church plant. He's working like 60, 70 hours a week, just grinding at work, trying to make stuff happen in the ministry for God. And he was getting tired. And in the midst of it, he was moving. He was moving into a new house. And so he was moving his furniture out of his old house. And he said that the last piece of furniture that that he was going to move was the heaviest. It was this huge desk he had in his office. And so he's he's pushing on this desk inch by inch and pulling on it and and moving it inch by inch. And in came his four-year-old son. And so his son came in. Hey, Daddy, can I help you move that? Oh, sure. So so his son starts pushing with him. and And they're pushing. And, and they're, they're inching it across the room. And then his son stopped and said, Dad, stop. Said, You're getting in the way. And so his dad gets out of the way. And so his son starts to try to push on it on his own. And obviously the thing doesn't budge at all. And, and the dad starts to laugh as he realizes that the son thought all along that he was the one who was pushing and moving the piece of furniture. And so this dad starts to laugh. And as he's laughing at his son, he sensed and felt like, God was laughing at him, saying, you're doing the exact same thing, thinking that you are the one who is pushing the desk of ministry, the desk of your life across the floor, when in reality, it's the power and the provision of God at work. And sometimes, sometimes it's only when we can't budget, when we get stuck, when it's not moving, when we realize our need for God and his power in our life. It's in the midst of our weakness that we discover God's grace is sufficient for me. You see, your weakness is an opportunity for God's power to shine in and through your life. God wants to work through your life. I believe that God wants to do extraordinary things through your life if you're willing to surrender your pride and to rely on him and his strength and not your own. I remember years ago, my brother Keith had bought a, a new trampoline. And I don't know if you've ever set one of those up before, but we, we, we shred open the box and we start setting it up. And so we start by putting all the metal pieces together for the framing around it. And we've got all the metal framing together. And the next what you do is, is you put the black mesh that the kids jump on. You put that out and, and, and you use these springs and you put them on hooks. And so the first few that we did were pretty easy. And then the tension starts to build, and it gets a little more difficult. And by the end of it, it's like we're, we're pulling with all of our might. Me and my brother, oh, and springs are flying off, and, and fingers are, 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 you know, getting pinched. And my brother's like one of those guys that's like pretty macho dude. Like he's all about like being the tough guy in the room and stuff. And so he's just getting frustrated and just trying to muscle through it. 
And, 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 and by the last few of them, like, this is impossible. Like, we are pulling with all of our might, and we, we cannot do this. Well, meanwhile, my wife, she's off to the side, and she's reading the instruction manual. That's like, come on. Us dudes, we don't have time for that. And so she's reading the instruction manual, and then out of nowhere, she, she, she comes over, and she's got this little hook metal thing tool in her hand. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. And she, she easily grabs one of those and just boop, and our jaws just drop. And my brother, being like the macho, tough dude, is like, get out of my way, give me that thing, you know, and then, and then it finishes up the whole project. And I learned in that moment what it feels like when you and I, in our own power, and our own strength, and our own might, that we try to muscle it, we try to make it happen in our own power. And the difference it makes when you put that tool in your hand. The Holy Spirit of God, the power of God at work in your life. And things that once seemed impossible become possible. You see, here's the miracle of God's grace. That the same divine power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same divine power that defeated death and sin, the same divine power that, that, that made the blind able to see, the lame able to walk, that same power lives inside this weak, frail failure. And that same power lives inside of you as you put your faith and trust in Jesus. I was reminded this week of, I heard this woman uh, speak live uh, two different times. Her name's Joni Erickson Tata. And she, uh, she was the daughter of an Olympic wrestler, grew up in an athletic home. And as a teenager, she was an athlete herself. But at the age of 17, she dove into the shallow waters of a lake and tragically broke her neck. And in that moment, her entire life changed as she was confined to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Can you imagine that, going from a star athlete to not being able to move your arms or your legs and being confined to a wheelchair? In the midst of that, she, she entered into a season of depression. She was, was angry and upset with God. God, why would you allow this to happen into my life? And in the midst of that, she had a friend who spoke these words to her and said this, that God permits what he hates in order to accomplish that which he loves. And that became a rally cry for her, that God permits what he hates in order to accomplish that which he loves. And she began to see that God had allowed this evil and this tragic event in her life in order for God to work through it, for his grace to be sufficient in it, in her weakness, to display his glory and his power through her life. And so she began to paint using a paintbrush in her mouth. Look at that piece of artwork. She began to do these amazing paintings and sell these to people all over the world. She began to write. She'd put a pen in her mouth and she began to write. She wrote over 30 books that have been published and have impacted the lives of millions of people. She became a public speaker and has spoken to hundreds of thousands of people, impacting their lives. And here's a quote that she says, The weaker I am, the harder I must lean on God's grace. The harder I lean on him, the stronger I discover him to be and the bolder my testimony to his grace. She now leads a nonprofit organization that is impacting the lives of millions of people all over the world. 
And she has discovered, she used to pray, God, would you heal me from this wheelchair? Can you imagine all the people's lives that would be impacted if you healed me and brought me out of this weakness, out of this wheelchair, and the stories I could tell? But she's discovered that God's power is made perfect in her weakness. And she has been able to impact the lives of millions of people while confined to a wheelchair, virtually no physical power in her body. And yet she has seen the power of God work through her weakness. You see, God turns our weaknesses into an opportunity for his power. And so I want to ask you, what's the source of your strength? What's the source of the strength in your life? Is it your hard work? Is it your experience? Is it all the Bible knowledge that you've developed over the years? What's the source of, of your strength and the pride in your life? Or is it Jesus? Is it his power and his presence in your life? You see, the life of a disciple is the life of the, a dependent. A dependency on his power to rely on him. So let me ask you, are you trusting in yourself or are you trusting him? Are you relying on yourself or are you relying on him? Because there might be a pain in your life, the greatest pain in your life, it might be there to display the greatest uh, display of God's power in your life. You see, the thing that might be your greatest weakness just might be the path that leads you to a place where you realize that you need to surrender your pride before God. And discover that his grace is enough for you. And his power is made perfect in and through your weakness. You see, God turns our weaknesses into an opportunity for his power. And so will you excel in your weaknesses? And will you allow him to be the source of your strength? I want to invite you to stand together as we continue in worship. And may we be people that our faith is not contingent on our power and our strength and our goodness, but on a great God who's gracious before us. Let's sing together.